now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at twitter.com slash tips. Lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on. And please click on the link <laughs> if you're there about bugs, about the one of the first ones. about uh, it's a, Actually, it will lead you to a gallery of natural enemies, garden good guys. That could be the clue for the garden grappler. Because I forgot to post the clue at the Garden Grappler. It's last week's clue. It won't help you at all. But here's what you can do, though. If, He's just mean. Oh, quiet. If uh, you go to Get Growing with Farmer Fred, right below where it says a clue for the Garden Grappler, you see a box that says the Garden Good Guys. Click on that first link, Plants That Attract Beneficial Insects, and that'll help you out. In fact, if you if you are not driving and you can do this while listening— Click on that link anyway, because that'll be part of the conversation in this first hour. Not necessarily about plants that attract beneficial insects, but about beneficials and their various life stages and why it's so important to recognize them and not kill them. So many people make the mistake of killing a bug they don't recognize without identifying it first in its various life stages, because not everything you see in the garden is an adult. There's lots of kids roaming around, too, and you want to protect those good guys. Speaking of good guys, Steve Zion is here from Living Resources Company, Sacramento's organic advocate. He's been studying bugs and soil for years. Uh, He tends to know what he's talking about, and he's here to do something. Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Um, Glad you're here. Good to be here. Let's talk. Means I'm still alive. <laughs> yes, right. We Pe- both are. People have, haven't, haven't seen me in their gardens and think I was a pest and tried to kill me. When was the first time I interviewed you on the radio? Uh, 1848. Yes, it was. It was something like It was before like gold was discovered in California. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a while back. I, um, last time I think we talked about that, I think you said I was the your, your second guest. Well, on Get Growing, um, yeah. but that's just 25 years ago. I, I'm thinking you were on when I was doing little garden segments on a farm show at KRAK. Uh, I think I may have interviewed you for some little segments on that. That would have been in 1982 or 83. And okay. I know when I was on KZAP, I had you on talking about organic gardening, and that would have been in 86, 87. Dude. Yeah. Righteous. It's Psychedelic <laughs> Sunday. All right. Um, anyway, that's what we're going to do today. And who? Actually, we're on this road. We don't know where it's going to go. We'll be taking scenic bypasses. Come along for the ride, won't you? Phone in your garden questions at 576-1578 on the 916. 866-331-8255 is toll-free. 866-331-8255. Warning, you only have 10% of your data left. <laughs> well, and people can can email using that inter, that new interweb thing. Fred at farmerfred.com or you can leave a picture or question posted at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, which I should open up on my little portable unit right now so I can answer more of your questions. Yeah, uh, I, we, I, we, and we just got to hear your port, portable unit turn on. 
I mean, yeah, that was nice it. Yes, I was turning the crank on it to get it yeah. warmed up to yeah. do that. Exactly. And that, and it works better to email pictures as opposed to holding them up to your radio. Yeah, we found that that doesn't work too well. Yeah, because I mean, we I, we've we've held pictures up to the mics, and and the listeners just have a real hard time seeing them. Well, what's even scarier is if you look over to your right, Steve, you see this white thing on the wall yeah. up there. That's yeah. a Facebook camera. And if Brooks wanted to, he could turn that on. No, he doesn't want to. No, do he that. doesn't want to do that. No, good. All right. Hi, Brooks. All <laughs> Keep right. him happy. <laughs> yep. So let's talk a little bit about the beneficials and their various life stages. Over on um, the KFBK Garden Show, we talked about ladybug larvae and what they look like, sort of like little alligators or sort of like wrinkly ladybugs in their various life stages. Yeah. And and the, the wrinkly ladybugs are interesting in the fact that um, some people know that the, 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 the little alligator guys, they move around, they actually eat more aphids than the adults do, and they can't fly away. Mm-hmm. But then bef- there's a stage between the little alligator and the adult ladybug. Um, and it looks like a, a, a crinkly ladybug. And it basically is holding on to whatever surface it decided it wanted to attach itself to. Usually it's a leaf, but I've seen them on the sides of buildings. And it's just kind of holding on there with its teeth or its mouth parts. Or at least that's what it looks like to me. Waiting for an aphid to come by? No, just holding on so that it can uh, change into a ladybug. Oh, really? Until it morphs again? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's kind of like a caterpillar, how a caterpillar, you know, makes little Mm -hmm. hanging chrysalis. It's kind of like the same thing. And normally you don't see them move at all. They're just... Yeah, you think they're dead. You think they're dead, and, yeah. and you people scrape them off and say, ooh, what is that? they got to get rid of it. Well, that but, answers but, the but question occasionally I gave you, you will, earlier. Occasionally you will see them wiggle around a little bit. Because they're pupating. Yes. See, that was the question I asked you earlier. That the alligator stage, where, where it looks like they're wearing an orange and black San Francisco Giants warm-up jacket. Of that, if, uh, and that's the convergent lady beetle. That's the convergent lady beetle, and that stage is a larval stage. Yes. And I asked you about this pupil stage, this pupa stage, yes. where it does resembly, uh, resemble a crinkly uh, ladybug. It looks like a really, really old ladybug. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when in reality, it's a really, really young ladybug. Yeah, yeah. And when that... Emerge or when that changes again, does it change into the alligator or does it change into a full fledged adult? Adult, Uh, yes, it's an adult. What what everybody's used to seeing, yeah, kind of the reddish orange, orangish red with the the black dots. Okay, well, that explains then what it's doing there by doing nothing, it's waiting, yes. Okay, thank you for answering that. Yeah, what it's it's going through amazing transformations. One of the stages of a beneficial insect that I find totally amazing that you may not recognize as being a beneficial is the egg stage of the braconid wasp the parasitic mini wasp that basically lays eggs on your garden pests and i'm thinking of the tomato hornworm yep. and you may see one and its back is covered in what look like little tips from q-tip cotton swabs yeah but what are those those are egg those cases. are the eggs and the eggs will then hatch and burrow into the caterpillar and destroy it. And so if you see caterpillars with all of these little white football-y things or Q-tip heads, um, cotton swab heads, uh, leave them alone. 
because that that caterpillar is doomed, and then you know those little wasps will go in there and they'll complete their life cycle and they'll come out as uh, adult male and female, and then they will repeat the process. All right. There is a another beneficial insect out there called the ichnimidid wasp. The ichnimidid. Yeah, I can't pronounce that one. Either. All right, but I could see where people might mistake this good guy for a bad guy because it looks kind of beetle-like and it's got these two long antennae. Mm-hmm. And people may say, "Oh, that's a bad bug." No, that's a good bug. You got to know your bugs. Well, no, typically the parasitic wasps though are so tiny, the adults that most people aren't ever going to see them. Also, people, when they when you say, you know, it's a beneficial wasp, they're always worried about getting stung, and they don't want them, and they're going to kill them because they don't want to get stung, even if they know what they are. Their stingers don't sting. Their stingers are used to deposit their eggs onto or into the pest. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what I think is, is, you know, one of the things that, that people will probably see relatively commonly and and often destroy are these eggs that are on these long strings. I was just going there. You know, and they're, they're they're you know they're they're rigid strings, and sometimes there's just one or two, and sometimes there's you know maybe a half a dozen or a dozen. But there's a little white dot on. And the And there's end. a little white dot on the end, and people destroy those as well. And those are the eggs of the green lacewing. And the lacewing is that uh, little bug that you're more than likely to see on a summer night sticking to your kitchen window with yep. the light is on in the kitchen or the screen, and it has sort of translucent wings, and that's they look a good very, guy. Very lacy, yeah. yeah. And the and the adult um, only feel, fee, feeds on pollen and nectar, so this is why we talk about having lots of um, flowers that will attract these guys because mm-hmm. as an adult, uh, they only feed on pollen and nectar. Uh, they will then lay these eggs, and these eggs then will hatch into again. It looks kind of like an alligator, yeah, the sort of little, little more elongated, and it's more tan and white, right? With and, a little red head. I don't think so. Uh, maybe, so, maybe some of them. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I th- what I mistook for you, a red head was actually it's holding an aphid in its claws. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And and these guys, you know, they've got legs. They don't. They don't fly, so they, they're going to stick around. And typically you will find their eggs where there are aphids around. Mm-hmm. And so p- people think, oh, this is just some strange aphid something or other, and so they got to kill it. And, uh, they typically, if you leave those guys alone, will take care of the aphids for you. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Perhaps tackle the questions you're posting at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. It's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on this August the 13th here on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back. Glad to have you along. Let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Nadia writes in and says, I'm so glad you'll be talking about insects today. I have a beetle-like insect that's about half inch long, shiny black color. It has a red-orange colored dot on the top of its back. Is it a friend or foe? Does it get to live or die? Oh, a picture would be so helpful here because there's a lot that does look like that. 
You, you need to turn on your microphone if you want to talk to the people, or the, if you don't want to talk to the yeah. people, that's okay. Um, there, there are box elder bugs that look, that kind of have that description yeah. when they're immature. But the the box the immature box elder bug and the immature assassin bug look almost identical, and uh, they're they're really hard to tell apart. One's a good guy and one's a bad guy. <laughs> and uh, so, take a sample to your favorite local nursery. Yeah. And and let them try to figure that one out. Yeah, that's a that's a, a tough one because it's not squash bug. No, no. And I, I'd be curious about any antenna if it has antenna. The the, the antenna makes makes a difference. Yeah. The shapes of, uh, you know, of of the legs can make a difference. Yeah, yeah. And that brings up another good question too: is what factors do you look at when trying to identify a bug? Now, color, size, of course, but well, also. Like you mentioned, does it have antenna? Are the antennas segmented? What about the legs? Do the legs look funny? Yeah. I'm thinking of the leaf-footed, leaf-footed bug, bug yeah. for example, yeah. that has these wide pads for rear feet. Well, you can also look in his wallet and check his ID. Yes, you could do that, too, if he's carrying his wallet, unlike yeah. me that drove off and went somewhere Friday and forgot to bring my wallet. Yeah. That Jeannie had to pay for dinner that night. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Luckily, she brought hers. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you would have been working in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I would be. Yep. All right. Anyway, uh, for more pictures of the good guys, especially in their various life stages, there um, I mentioned the uh, link to the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page about plants that attract beneficial insects that has the various life stages of a few beneficials. But for an even more comprehensive list, go to the Natural Enemies Gallery at the UCIPM page, just uh, do an internet search for Natural Enemies Gallery UC, and that'll it'll be the first link. And it's easy to use. It, it lists all the predators. The, those are the good guys. Uh, and by the their parasites. Common, and the parasites. List them by their common name, and then you can just click on each link and get a whole series of photos yeah. about their various life stages, and that's very helpful. There's always a, or also a, one of my favorite brochures, uh, available online it's called the uh, 10 most wanted bugs in your garden i got that somewhere here. and uh it, it's 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 i think my favorite for sure it shows all sorts of beneficial insects uh in some and some of them in the various life cycles uh, you can go to ourwaterourworld.org and then click on the uh, link to uh, beneficials and then click on the link to 10 most wanted and it also lists uh, a variety of plants that will attract the beneficial insects as well. Like I said, when we were talking about the green lacewings, the adult green lacewings only feeds on pollen and nectar, so you need to have those flowers around. This may just end up being one of the prizes in today's Garden Grappler later on, is the 10 most wanted bugs in your garden brochure, yeah. which is very colorful. I noticed that one of the pictures there is something that you certainly wouldn't even think is a beneficial uh, in its uh, immature stages, and some people even don't think it's a beneficial in its adult stage, but it is, and that's the predaceous ground beetle. Yep. The predaceous ground beetle is all black. You'll usually see it, especially around mulch or just scurrying underneath your plants and around your plants, and it's a good guy. Yeah, they, and they can be brown as well. Yeah. And, and they're about, what, an inch long? Yeah. About that. I mean, they're, there's, they're fast there's, there are lots of different varieties. Yeah. And they usually, you know, so, you, you know, you'll, you'll dig in your mulch and you'll see these guys scampering around. They usually li- live, in, live in mulch. And they're good guys. 
Um, one, one of my favorites that, that is typically in spring when the uh, aphids are out, uh, people will bring in what are called soldier beetles or leather wings, and they have these leathery long, they're, they're elongated insects, uh, maybe an inch long, and they have these very uh, long wings that look very, very leathery, and they're kind of brown or a very, very dark tan, almost black. And they have a bright red or, or orangish red head. And, and they, that's really the giveaway, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's nothing that really looks like them. And people bring those into the nurseries all the time in spring and saying, we've got aphids and we've got these things, and I know how to kill the aphids. How do I kill these things? And especially if you've got tall plants like trees, uh, these guys are the best for controlling the aphids uh, in tall trees. There's also in this brochure the 10 most wanted bugs in your garden. They have dragonfly as a beneficial because yep. it, it does prey on mosquitoes. Its other name is mosquito hawk. Yeah. Well, uh, I, think, I think that's a different critter. No, it's right there. It says oh, mosquito okay. hawk, dragonfly. Okay. I wouldn't lie about okay. that. Okay. Uh, but its immature stage doesn't look anything like a flying insect. It, no. It's a crawly-type insect, the larvae, and they live in the water, I understand. Yeah. And they also hunt, I guess, the uh, eggs of mosquitoes or the young that are just hatching could, in the water. Could be. Yeah. And they also land on my, my kayak all the time when I'm out there kayaking. It's kind of The fun. adult dragonfly. Yes. Yeah, not the immature ones right. because they don't fly. All yeah. right. And so if you have a water feature in your yard, chances are you have dragonflies, which means yeah. you have dragonfly kids as yeah. well. So think about protecting them. Uh, one of the other beneficials that, uh, and you can certainly wax rhapsodic, rhapsodic on this, Steve, is uh, spiders. Yep. Yeah, spiders, I mean, people have arachnophobia, watch too many movies, and they're, they're creepy crawlies. People come over to our house and say, why don't you clean up your house? You know, and we clean it up, but there's, we, there, you know, there's spider webs all over the place. And we leave them alone unless they're like, you know, in the kitchen. We, we control them because we don't want them uh, dropping things into our food. Um, but you've got to realize that what do spiders eat? Spiders eat other bugs. Mm -hmm. And so you get rid of the spiders, whatever the spiders were eating is now going to become a problem. And so we never have bug problems in our house. Never, ever, ever. We don't. <laughs> You're jinxing yourself. You know that. I've been saying that this for years. We had one inf ant infestation. One time it came in one electrical outlet. And I, at that point, they didn't have the essential oil sprays that they have now. Um, but I just took some boric acid and, and made my own essential oil spray using insecticidal soap. And then I just added some mint tea to it and uh, dusted a little boric acid in there and, and sprayed the area after turning the power off. Um, what with, effect would insecticidal soap have on that since it's a, it, it, it needs to contact the it was the It was the essential oil, and it acts as a repellent. Mm. Okay. Yep. In this brochure, by the way, the 10 most wanted bugs in your garden, it also suggests a whole host of plants that will attract these garden good guys. Yes, it does. Such as a fleabane, the, which is also known as the seaside daisy, a rigeron, for yep. those of you that like Latin, uh, yarrow, uh, achillea, if you will, uh, the smaller sunflower varieties, and one of my favorite, buckwheat, like yeah. the Ariogonum, especially the California buckwheat, Ariogonum californicum, which is, uh, it blooms a long time from May through November, 
and attracts a whole host of beneficials. Uh, Solidago, also known as Goldenrod, Ceanothus varieties, uh, the California Lilac, and the California Aster as yeah. well attract bees, butterflies, lacewings, ladybugs, and surfid flies. And I think I think there, there there's a you know a list of of plants that attract beneficial insects and uh, some farmer Fred. Yes, at that link I was telling you about earlier, plants that attract beneficial insects, besides having all those life stages of the beneficials, there's a whole bunch of plants that attract those beneficials. One of the keys to attracting beneficials is it has to look like that neon sign on the side of the freeway that you can see from a half mile away. So when you plant a desirable plant to attract these beneficials, Plant them en masse in at least a enough to fill a three-by-three-foot area. You don't have to plant it every five inches, just whatever the recommended planting area yeah. is for these plants, but to fill like a three-by-three three area so that as these guys are flying around, they can see that billboard, if yeah. you will, from far away. Yeah. And it works. All right. And, and you know, a lot of times people think, they've you know, they've got to intersperse these, like if they've got a vegetable garden. Um, they can be out, you know, surrounding the garden. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be necessarily in the garden. Can they be in the front yard if the vegetables are in the backyard? Uh, with some of them, yes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the issue is, is not so much the distance, is, you know, how big is the building and how, you know, because I don't know whether the, a lot of these are going to want to fly over the building. Um, because I know they're starting to do research um and using hedgerows of beneficials right, yeah. and farms and they're finding uh, depending upon the beneficial that they'll some of them will fly if there's nothing obstructing them like a house um i think up to a quarter mile well frankly hedgerows usually surround a farm field so right. there is nothing right in yeah. between right but but, but, uh, but in your yard yeah if you've got you know you're planting these in the front yard then your house would be you know a barrier for them and basically what a hedgerow consists of are various sizes of native plants. That, Usually native plants. Yeah, that attract native bees, native yeah. uh, beneficials. And it's, you know, they, they range from the small, like buckwheat, up to you know, trees. Yeah. Oak trees, even. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so it, it, there's a lot of research going on in hedgerows. If you go online, uh, you can find out more information about hedgerows if you have a big piece of property. And... Uh, there's a ranch in Yolo County. It's called the Oakdale Ranch. It's outside, I want to say outside of Winters, not Winters, uh, Woodland. And they've been pioneers in setting up hedgerows there to attract. Is that the uh, same as hedgerow, hedgerow Farms? Or is that yeah, different? That's different, although the guy that runs Hedgerow Farms did supply a lot of the plants that they use at Oakdale Ranch. Yeah, okay, yeah. Because Yeah, yeah he's over there too. Yeah. Uh, Hedgerow yeah, Farms. Hedgerow Farms are basically grows those right. kinds of plants. Exactly. For, yeah. For farmers and for, for gardeners. Right. And they have workshops occasionally. Brooks is chewing his gum more madly, which means it's time to take a break. More of Get Growing on the Way on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Steve Zion, a living resources company, doing organic consulting for years and years and years. And I think he still has a phone number at his place of business. I do. It's 916-726-5377. And a website. Organiclandscape.com. 
Same exact website for the last 30 years. And you can <laughs> find a link to that as well next to Steve's name on today's guest list at FarmerFred.com. Let's uh, delve into the email. Uh, Lydia sends a question that says, I heard there are some types of bark to avoid as it's not good for the soil when I'm ready to plant as far as mulch goes. Can you share with me information about that? Well, I'm, I'm thinking that Lydia's getting a little confused as far as it sounds like she wants to take that bark and incorporate it into the soil. Yeah. When you, all you need to do is lay it on top of the soil. Yeah. I, I don't know of any any problem that various barks have had um, when it's used as a mulch. Um, the problem is that, and it's with any bark, uh, you don't want to incorporate any kind of woody material, sawdust, anything like that. Well, especially sawdust. Um, into the soil, because what happens is the soil biology, uh, their job is to break that stuff down. They are very efficient feeders on nitrogen, which is the, the major nutrient, the, the most needed nutrient that your plants have. And these little microbes will use all of the nitrogen that's there to break this stuff down. They're more effective at utilizing it. And instead of having nice green plants, your plants will turn a nice shade of yellow because there won't be any available nitrogen because the, the, the little microbes will be using it all. So you do not ever want to till in and cultivate in any kind of woody material. And not only that, but you want to keep that mulch away from uh, about six inches from trunks of, of larger plants, of shrubs and trees, to avoid r- root and crown diseases. And and accessible, you know, some of the some of the bad guys um, live in the mulch, and if they're if the mulch is right up against the tree, then or or the plant, uh, that'll give them direct access. Just having the the, the mulch a couple of inches away uh can be enough of a barrier to keep them from finding your plant. They're not real smart. There is a page uh, at the UC A&R website, or also the UC IPM website, uh, about mulches. If you do a search of UC IPM and the word mulches, a uh, page comes up that talks about the various types of organic and inorganic mulches, the synthetic mulches. We like to talk about organic mulches on this show because they improve soil conditions greatly as they decompose, and they're usually inexpensive or free. We're talking compost, grass clippings, green waste to a certain extent, leaves, chipped ground and shredded bark or wood. Did I tell you about the branch that fell down in my backyard last week? No. Saturday, last Saturday. uh, I didn't think you had anything that would have branches on it. I don't, but... My neighbor does. Ah. It was an oak tree branch. A big oak tree branch came down last Saturday into my backyard. Luckily, I, and so now, so now you you've got signs that you say you have to wear a hard hat when you go out there. I had just been out there in that very area a few minutes before that, yeah. so I'm glad I was inside when it happened. Uh, sudden limb drop is one of those things that's very tough to explain uh, about the best solution for sudden limb drop is make sure your trees are in good condition and that usually means bringing out a consulting arborist or some arborist uh, who specializes in tree risk assessments to take a look at the trees see if there are any budding problems things that could lessen the weight on the tree and make sure it is more stable but uh, when that branch fell in my yard my neighbors weren't home and I still have a chipper shredder so <laughs> basically I so you got mulch. I, I have more mulch now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You must have, you must have either either the branch wasn't very big or you have a pretty heavy duty 
gibberish writer. It's an eight horsepower. Um, it's a BCS. Well, oh yeah, uh, gibberish yeah, writer. Yeah, so it, no, yeah, the it, it, yeah, the BCS are. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. It's heavy duty, but yeah. those are samples of organic mulches, and they need to be replenished every now and then because they break down and feed the soil and feed the soil, and that's a good thing. Yes. Now, what about the value of inorganic mulches? And in that category, UCIPM places a gravel or crushed stone, some rock mulches. Um, what do you think of that? I think it should be avoided at all costs. Um, the, the major reason with the, with the stone and rock kinds of mulches is during the day, uh, some of you who live in the Sacramento region might realize that it gets a little warm, maybe even a little more than warm in the summertime. And these kinds of rock and stone mulches absorb the heat and then re, uh, radiate it all day long and all night long. And they heat up the soil tremendously. And one of the things that, that you want as a benefit of mulch is to keep the, the soil cool in the wintertime. Or, or in, I mean, in the summertime. And these, these mulches will heat the soil in the summertime. And you will actually kill the soil biology and sometimes even the plant roots close to the surface of the soil because you're actually cooking it. And they don't do anything to improve the quality of the soil unless you're looking at geologic terms over millions of years. <laughs> then there's another class of mulches, the synthetic mulches, which can be uh, black plastic, but actually that completely restricts air and water movement. Then you've got the geotextiles, land, the landscape fabrics, landscape if fabrics, you will, yeah. that allow water and air to pass through if you put it down correctly. Yeah, because typically those materials, uh, the water only flows in one direction. Yeah. And so what you need to do is before you put it down, Throw some water on it, and uh, if it just runs off to the side, you've got to probably have it upside down, turn it upside down, and try it again. Right. And I'm not a big fan of geotextiles just simply because if you have mulch on top of it, which you should, because yeah. it will deteriorate in the sun if you just leave it out exposed and it's ugly yeah. besides that. Uh, weed seeds can germinate in that mulch and take root through the little holes in the yep. synthetic mulches. And then when you go to pull the weed out, up comes a good portion of the fabric. Yeah. Well, and then the fabric only lasts, you know, three to five years. Yeah. And then, you know, what do you do with it? It's, you know, it's falling apart. It's, you know, you can't really pull it out of there easily. And it's a mess. And that's why. Yeah. It's a mess is right. I mean, most of the the ecological landscapers and landscape designers now are, 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 avoiding the use of those and it used to be the you know the part of the trade i mean that was what everybody was using um because of of the things that we've just talked about and they're now recommending the cardboard which i think i talked about on the other show mm -hmm. uh to replace that you, you you know you put down the cardboard and then you put down your mulch or now, you or but, you or you do it a little make a make it a little better and you do what's called sheet mulching yeah which you you typically put a little bit of compost then the cardboard then more compost and then the mulch. Which brings up a question from Lynn in Chico who writes in, we are in the process of removing our lawn with the UC Davis process of killing it with cardboard. Mm -hmm. And then she adds, after spraying with vinegar, salt, dish soap solution, and are coming to a part of the lawn with large pine tree roots growing on the top of the so-called former lawn. Do you know how far away from the roots we must stop laying the cardboard and heating the ground? We'll have wood chips on top of the cardboard hoping to amend the awful clay soil we have in Chico. 
I like how she threw in the vinegar salt dish soap solution. And by like, I don't mean I like it. I mean, that's interesting that you would combine UC research with uh, Jerry Baker research. Yeah, there. I mean, I was just speaking to a garden club up in uh, Jackson, and one of the gardeners uh, in the beginning posted a, a comment that they used the same formula. I don't know who's yeah. putting that out, but so, um, the vinegar... It is not so bad. Um, well, uh, yeah, unless you it, get some on you. The, the, <laughs> the issue the issue is, yeah, I mean, they, they used to sell vinegar herbicides. There's a couple of them still on the market. But they have to be, you know, fairly strong vinegar to really do the do a good job. And that Heinz you, 57, don't cut it. No, and um, if you uh, get it on your skin or get it in your eyes, it can do, do really serious damage, which is why you don't find it anymore. Um, salt is one of the worst things you can add to your soil. It kills all the soil biology. It raises the pH. Um, it's really, really nasty stuff, and you really don't want to use that. And I also always encourage people, don't use homemade soaps. Homemade soaps often have fragrances and skin softeners and all those kinds of things, which are not meant to be put on plants or in the soil. And so you're, you're, you have a potential of actually poisoning your soil with that material as well. Wow, and you didn't use the phrase worm castings in any of that. Well, I mean, if you, if, I mean, if you want to improve clay soils, uh, bark or wood chips or things like that, are, it, it's going to take a long time. Um, if you want to improve your the, the quality of your soil, clay soil in particular, uh, worm castings is, is really the best thing you can do. I have a question for you. Okay. With all the landscape renovations going on in our house, uh, I, I kind of forgot about the fact that the uh, worm bin was in kind of a sunny location. Ooh. Yeah, they got fried. Yeah, they did. But I've got like three containers now full of good stuff. Yeah. But my question is, if I go and get another pound of worms, should I leave that stuff in there or should I clean it all out? Put that in my garden, and then uh, basically start from scratch. I would put it in the garden. Okay, I'll yeah. do that. Um, actually, in your in your case, um, I would at least for some of it start making some some worm worm casting tea. I don't have any plants to put it on. Let's put it on the soil. <laughs> really? Yeah, and water it in the soil. Isn't it like Miracle Grow? It's quick acting. No. All right. No, because <laughs> because when you make if you brew the tea properly, and that means getting the chlorine out of the water first, yeah, and then soaking it, you know, in in a, some sort of tea bag or filtering it when you're done, um, and pumping air through it because um, what it does when you make the tea and you pump air through it, it increases the uh, beneficial microscopic organisms, the numbers of them, by by billions and billions. Billions. And so then you will be adding all of these beneficial soil microbes to your soil, and they will take and improve the quality of your soil really, really quickly. I guess I better get some soil then, too, for my oh. raised beds. <laughs> oh. You have, you, I, I, I need you, to you, fill those raised beds. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'll do that. Yeah. All right, fine. We'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. Steve Zion from Living Resources Company. Garden Grappler coming up after the news at 11 o'clock. Got a question? Give us a call. 576-1578. Is that right? 
Yeah, it is. 576-1578. I don't know. It's not on the, the mic in front of me, so I, I can't I can't tell. Well, I can make it up. 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Back to the email. So you just gave him your home phone number? I hope not. Um, <laughs> Carol from Roseville writes in, and she says, I goofed. When I emptied my compost bin the other day, the compost was a moldy white. I had not kept it as wet as usual because that makes it too heavy to turn, but now I have this. I now have to spread it out on a tarp to dry it in the sun. Can I use this compost, or will it be harmful to put around plants? I'm not so sure that that moldy white stuff is a problem. The moldy white stuff, is my guess, is what's called actinobacteria which um, are, are one of the critters in the soil that do the vast majority of decomposing organic matter. And so my thought is that they are probably the actinobacteria, which are good guys. Um, one of the things that I, t- when I talk teach soils, which I'll be doing in the river-friendly green gardening classes coming up in the next month or Details so, later. Um, is uh, I tell people that, in spring, typically in spring, February, March, when it starts to warm up, and they have some sort of woody bark type mulch, and they you know stir up that mulch uh, for one reason or another, and they see these white strands and, and this white mass of stuff, uh, and uh, they think they've got to kill it. It's some sort of nasty stuff, like we were talking about earlier with beneficial insects. Before you kill it, make sure it's a bad guy. Um, I would say 99 times out of 100, that white filmy stuff is either some sort of fungi or the actinobacteria uh, that are just breaking down that organic matter and turning it into into food for other soil biology and for your plants. So, you you know, I mean, without seeing it and analyzing it, it's hard to say for sure, but my guess is it's fine to use. One of the other byproducts of a mulching situation that people get grossed out about is something called dog vomit fungus. <laughs> yeah. And it does look like dog vomit. Yeah. But it is harmless. Yeah. And all you need to do is maybe take well, a hose and wash it. Yeah, men- mentally it isn't so harmless, but as far as your garden and your soil and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's due to probably shady conditions, to wet conditions. Yeah. So, Usually. yeah, a lot of those uh, issues aren't necessarily harm. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's ever tempted to reach down and taste it. <laughs> Unlike no. you might be with a mushroom. Yeah, yeah. Another name for that is called slime mold. Slime mold is much yes. better than dog vomit fungus, yes. but yes. It, it certainly is very more descriptive. Yeah. Right. And it commonly grows in, in, in mulch, as you said. By the way, uh, when it comes to uh, taste testing the mushrooms that pop up in your lawn, don't do that. No. Thank you. I, I mean, and there's there's a, a really good reason why you want to, you know, I mean, mushrooms in your lawn, in most cases, are fine as far as the, the lawn is concerned. But if you see, see them, um, I, I recommend, you know, getting rid of them as quickly as possible so that nobody or no thing starts eating them because, you know, like if they're poisoned to us, they might be poisoned to your dog or your mm-hmm. cat, your ferret. Is uh, there a chance that ferret, is there a chance <laughs> that the mushrooms are indicative of a soil that's too wet, too cold, too shady? It, it might be, but in most cases, there's just some organic matter down there that it's, it, it's breaking down. Yeah. Um, in many cases, it's a tree root that may be 
dying or dead. Um, and it's uh, a fungus breaking that down, and it decides it wants to reproduce. And so it sends up a little mushroom. I've mentioned on this program several times about the 14 liquid amber trees I took out from the backyard. Yes. Um, and for good reason. Uh, they're, they they didn't even have good fall color, these. Yeah. So that means they had no socially redeeming value whatsoever. <laughs> and people always say, well, you're going to be pulling out those, the, 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 um, Sprouts. Thank you. The sprouts from, I should remember sprouts, the grocery store is close to me. Yeah. Uh, the sprouts had come up from the roots. Uh-huh. And it wasn't a big deal when I had 12 inches of mulch in the backyard. Because if they got through, they actually pulled out quite easy. And that's the one thing I've discovered about these liquid amber sprouts is they do pull out pretty darn easy. Yeah. And people are always calling, go, how do I get rid of them? I don't want to keep dealing with this. Well, uh, it's actually pretty easy to deal with because yeah. they do come up fairly easy. Um, and eventually the root will give up. Yeah. I mean, I had the same thing. I had two liquid ambers that I pulled out. And they, they grinded the stump, but they're still, I mean, they're surface rooting plants. Yeah. And so they were sprouting. And I used uh, lawn mowers. I used hand pulling. I used organic herbicides. I used flame weeders. You didn't use a weed whacker? No. Why not? I don't have one. Oh, I do. And, um, <laughs> I mean, it took several years, uh, but, it you know, it, it, yeah. it doesn't take a lot of time. It's really easy. Um, Apparently, they like sunlight. Yeah. So if you deny them sunlight, they probably right. won't come up. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's one solution. But, uh, anyway, it is, it doesn't take that long. People go through the yard on a weekly basis yeah. and just yank out yeah. what you see yep. or take your nippers with you when you go out to the yard with your set goal of going down there and just nipping off the, the, the flame weeder. The I mean, the, mine were in a, a lawn area, and so uh, the flame weeder worked very, very well, and, oh. it was, and it's fun. Here's a quick garden grappler. Not a garden grappler. I'm okay. Email question for you, Steve. Okay. Shirley writes in and says, can you recommend an all-purpose fertilizer I could use annually or semi-annually in our yard? I want to maintain our yard as simply and easily as possible without having to buy and store a lot of products. I can imagine this question is ambiguous at best, but would sure appreciate your input. Well, you know, I th- I mean, I always recommend people test their soil to find out what it needs and doesn't need. But if you're so, you know, if if, if your if your garden soil is producing happy, healthy plants that are pest resistant, um, it's probably doing okay. Um, and there are there are numerous uh, organic. I w- I w- the trick is to use an organic fertilizer, and there are numerous companies that have like an all-purpose organic fertilizer, right. and that's that's what I would granular, recommend, aren't they? What's that? Uh, these yeah. ones that you only have to apply once or twice a year. Are granular. Are granular. Right. Yeah. Uh, brands are Job's Organic, um, Down to Earth, uh, Dr. Earth. Ringer? Uh, Ringer, uh, Espoma. And, Mulch. Uh, uh, G&B, uh, Kellogg's. Yeah. So there's lots of varieties, and you can go to a- any nursery and any hardware store, and they will typically have at least... One brand, E.B. Stone, that, that's another one. Um, and so just you know, an all-purpose organic fertilizer. And the nice thing about the organic fertilizers uh, in comparison to the synthetic fertilizers, we talked about the, on the other show, the, 
the fact that the organic fertilizers are water insoluble, which means that they don't dissolve in water, that they actually feed the soil biology, and so that they're going to stay in the soil and feed your plants over a much longer time compared to the synthetic fertilizers, which are water-soluble, run off, leach through the soil very quickly, and have to be applied pretty much once a month. The question, uh, though, that Shirley does not address is which plants in her yard that she wants to fertilize uh, because they may not need fertilizer if it's a, a tree or a shrub. Mm. As I, that's why I like mulch for yeah. doing that, for that slow-release feeding yeah. for larger plants. Yeah. But if you are trying to grow annual crops, food crops or flowering crops, depending on what your soil needs, it probably will need some. It, it, uh, usually it, it, nitrogen. It usually helps, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the nitrogen. Uh, Especially if you've been use, utilizing synthetic fertilizers, the nitrogen quickly leaches out mm-hmm. of the soil. You get a, a you know a healthy soil food, what's called a healthy soil food wilt, with lots of beneficial critters, and you're feeding them the the organic nitrogen. Uh, that nitrogen, you know, still subject to le- leaching to some extent, but it usually most of it stays in the soil, um, and over time becomes available to the plant roots. We're going to take a break for news. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Don't go to the link at FarmerFred.com that says a clue for the Garden Grappler. I forgot to update that. Go to the link that's right below that that says plants that attract beneficial insects. That'll be much more helpful as you listen to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you're up on your good bug, bad bug knowledge. Brooks is standing by in the control room. He is standing uh, to take down your names and addresses so we can send you some prizes. If you're one of the first five callers who can name a good bug or a bad bug that begins with a letter from the word Packers, P-A-C-K-E-R-S. Steve's, go, pack, go. Is that why I chose that, Steve? I, I think so. It's the uh, football season starting. And you're, you're still wearing Milwaukee Brewer hats. Though. Well, they're in the running still and, well, for the moment. No Packer paraphernalia whatsoever on always, you? Always, always. What do you got? My key holders. Oh, okay, key fob. Yep. says Packers. Yeah. All right. And uh, longtime listeners to this program knows that Steve disappears from this program uh, just about every September through uh, January. Uh, we go into February often. <laughs> Eight years <laughs> in a row, we made it to the playoffs. Yeah, but the only the, only one other team can say that. Only playoffs go through January. The Super Bowl is the only thing in February. Well, we've we've been there. You well, yes, I know you've been there. Anyway. So as you can see, he has Packer disease. So why not a garden grappler to reflect that? Name a good bug or a bad bug that begins with a letter from the word Packers. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Uh, if you search around the uh, Get Growing with or Farmer Fred site, farmerfred.com, and click on the link Plants That Attract Beneficial Insects, you might come up with an answer. Uh, all five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, you can't repeat an earlier answer. So I'm Steve, since you're the judge and hanging jury for this competition, I will let you decide whether we make it tough, tougher on these people 
by eliminating the letters when one person chooses an answer. For instance, if somebody uh, took the P and said um, Plymouths, even though a Plymouth is not an insect, would we eliminate the letter P so that only Ackers were left? Um, uh, yeah, let's make it easy. All right, so, so they, any yeah. letter can be used by any number of colors. Yeah, because there's, there's one letter in there that's really hard. The K? Um, I think that was what it was. Yeah. 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 What, there's no uh, kale worm? I don't think so. No. No? Okay. There's no, nothing commonly called kale worm. No. All right. Packers, P-A-C-K-E-R-S, either a good bug or a bad bug. Give it a letter. You can, if somebody uses the P, that's okay for the next caller. Obviously, caller five has the toughest of all. So they get a bonus prize. The numbers to call in, 576-1578 in the 916 area code, 576-1578. Outside the area, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Name a good bug or a bad bug that begins with a letter from the word Packers. Thank you. And I do want to clarify something that you know. Okay. I mean, there there are a lot of people out there who like uh, like football and they have a favorite team, um, and people think that I'm a little fanatic about my Green Bay Packers. And yeah, yeah. part of it is because, uh, unlike fans of other teams, I am an owner of the Green Bay Packers. Your precious one share. Yep. Um, and, and my wife has a share too. Oh wow! Yeah. Two shares in the family. Two, two shares. In All the right. Family. Now yeah. at the was there just a single sale on that way back when? No, there's been numerous sales. I okay. think five or six sales over over time. When they need when they need to raise money for updating something or other, they and they, they these sell more. shares sell for what a hundred dollars? Um, well, I think the first ones were like thirty five. Thirty five. Okay. Um, most recently, I think uh, was one hundred and twenty five or two twenty five, something like yeah. that. Okay, and and this entitles you to what? Uh, saying that you're an, an owner, owner of the and you get a you get a a certificate that says you're an owner. Uh, you get uh, access to owner merchandise <laughs> that you can purchase. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. Wow. How unusual. <laughs> um, but only owners can can purchase that material. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You have to be an owner to order. Well, and what do you have that certifies you as an owner of the Packers? Um, we have the stock certificate, yeah. and we bought them at two different sellings, so they're different, and they're, so that's kind of cool. Um, I have a license plate frame that says I am an owner of the Green Bay Packers. On a 10-year-old pickup truck. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think actually that's on my uh, Honda, okay. Honda Accord. <laughs> um, and there, there are various other things that okay. we've got, like mugs and right. glasses and banners. And all right, all right. T-shirts all right. and right. hats. And... Quiet. <laughs> uh, no gardening tools. Thank you. What? I uh, imagine they do sell them. Rarely. Yeah? Rarely. Huh. Yeah, they need uh, to get a player whose last name is like Rake <laughs> so they can sell <laughs> yeah. a Packers yeah. Rake. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, go ahead and uh, tell people where you're going to be pontificating come, I think it's in September. It's September. On uh, September 7th and 14th, I will be uh, teaching two classes that are part of a three-class module 
the River Friendly Green Gardener Landscaping for Professionals training program begins. And we used to do it in 10 classes, and it was hard for people to commit for 10 classes. So we're now doing it in three modules of three classes each. First module is, like I said, September 7th, 14th, and 21st. I'll be teaching the the first two, and it's about building healthy soil for successful landscapes. You're going to learn the basics about soil science and mulch and compost and fertilizers, and we'll talk a little bit about turf care as well because some people still want little bits of lawn for their, their dogs and cats to do their little business. And that those classes will be at the Sacramento Tree Foundation uh, from 6 to 8.30. Which I believe is still on Lathrop Road. It is still on Lathrop Road, yep. Okay. And then the second module is on uh, mastering efficient irrigation. Uh, the first two classes will be Thursday, October 5th and 12th, 6.30 to 8.30 at Ewing Irrigation in Roseville. And their last class will be in the field to actually see how things are done. And you will be able to participate a little bit as well. And that's Saturday, October 21st, 9 to 11.30. And then the final module is called Plants in the California Landscape. And you're going to talk about uh, the right plant, right place. No, you're going to talk about Not me. No, well, the, the instructors will be talking okay. about plants in the right place, pruning, and then uh, I will be talking about in the, in in a, what might be the last class or second to the last class, um, integrated pest management, and that's Thursdays, uh, November second and November ninth, and then we're going to do another Saturday in the field uh, on the eighteenth of November from nine to eleven thirty, and that'll be at How Park. And for more information, people can go to ecolandscape.org. And the classes run $55 for Ecolandscape California members and $65 for non-members. And they can also call 916-945-0336 for more information. All right. A lot of... uh, Okay. You finished? Yes. Okay. Master food preservers have a lot of great classes coming up uh, throughout Northern California. For example, in Calaveras County at the Calaveras Senior Center at 956 Mountain Ranch Road in San Andreas, this coming Wednesday, August 16th, they have a class on pressure canning basics, what you can do with all those fresh vegetables and fruits that you're harvesting. And that class will be from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday evening. It's free. More information, call 209-223-6857. Sacramento County Master Food Preservers have a class coming up on Wednesday, August 16th, about putting away tomatoes, tomatoes all year, plain and teamed with peppers as well. And that'll be at the Cooperative Extension Office at 4145 Branch Center Road in Sacramento near the corner of Bradshaw and Kiefer. Again, that'll be Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. There is a $5 materials fee for the class, payable at the door. For more information, you can call the Cooperative Extension at 916-875-6913. San Joaquin County Master Gardeners have a class, excuse me, the Master Food Preservers have a class on what you can do with all those tomatoes including making salsa, how to can fresh tomatoes, and making flavorful salsas in a boiling water bath canner. And you're going to be uh, making it right there, taking home a jar of each to enjoy. There is a $20 fee for this class. It is Saturday, August 19th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. 
at the Robert Cabral Ag Center at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton. Registration deadline is August 17th. Space is limited. For more information, call 209-953-6100. All right. Brooks is madly writing down names and addresses of people. Lining up contestants for the Garden Grappler. People who are going to name a good bug or a bad bug that begins with a letter from the word Packers, P-A-C-K-E-R-S, and uh, hope they have a backup answer in case, uh, you know, somebody before them takes the answer they wanted to use originally. That's always a handy idea for Caller 5. They have it toughest of all. They'll get a bonus prize. The numbers to call in, there is one open line, 576-1578 in the 916, or toll-free 866-331-8255. It's the Garden Grappler, and it's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's get some garden grappler answers here to the quizzical question. Name a good bug or a bad bug for your garden that begins with a letter from the word Packers, P-A-C-K-E-R-S. And Steve Zion, who is here, the Packer fan, said if the letter gets used, it's still in play. So if you use one of those letters, the people behind you could also use that letter for a different bug. Yeah. That, that begins with that letter. Yeah. All right. First up, it is Judy in Pleasanton. Hi, Judy. Hi. How are you? We're doing fine. Thanks for hanging in there. What uh, good bug oh. or bad bug would you like to mention? Thank you. One of my favorites is a praying mantis for pee. All right. Perfect. Per- perfect. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and actually, depending upon who you talk to, <laughs> some people think it, I mean, I think it's a good guy because it eats all sorts of bugs, but I don't recommend yeah. people purchase them because they'll eat what's oh. ever in front of them. And so they're, oh, right. you know, they'll, they'll eat good guys as well. Oh, and, okay. so you know, good and bad. yeah. And so one, you know, one of the, the folks that is occasionally on this show and, and a lot of people know him, Baldo Viegas. Um, he kills them when he sees them because he sees them oh. eating ben- other beneficial uh, insects in his garden. Oh, I he he uh, doesn't I he, he doesn't like them. But um, it, again, at, at the very least, it's a neutral yeah. pest. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a, if, if if the word pest is applicable here, probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, I like yeah. them. I I leave them if when I see them in my garden. So I tell you what, Judy, over there in Pleasanton, I have for you some wonderful handouts, including the 10 Most Wanted Bugs brochure from Our Water, Our World. The uh, Steve has a new publication out called Soil Analysis, the Key to Pest-Free Plants that I'll be okay. sending your way. And information on how to spot the Asian citrus psyllid on your citrus grease. The psyllid, of course, is the one that is spreading the deadly citrus greening disease, and this information can help you on spotting it just in case. Oh, great. That so, sounds great. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate Thank it, Judy. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Now, again, just because uh, Judy said praying mantis, the P is still in play in yes. the word Packers. Yes. Because there are other P pests, yep. so to speak. Patrick in Antelope, go ahead. Name a, a good guy or bad guy. Packers. I will say the aphid. Yeah, that would be an A. Yep, that works. Yeah, aphids uh, are a bad guy. Yeah. And this was a question I received Thursday. I was doing a talk at a garden club in Rio Vista, 
at uh, the Trilogy Active Adult Community. And you had pe- a good good talk there. Yeah. It, people were Ruffle. very concerned about uh, the sooty mold ah, from the aphids. Yep, yep. And uh, the sooty mold is a result of the secretions collecting dust that is blown by the wind. And the wind does blow in Rio Vista. Yeah. So you end up with all that sticky stuff on the honeydew secretions. And what you need to do is control the aphids with a blast of water and maybe yep. control the ants, too, that yeah. might be hurting the aphids. Yeah. Is that all you want to add to it? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the sooty mold by itself, if it doesn't get bad, is not too bad. It doesn't really hurt the, the plant, um, other than the fact that if it, if it gets to be a serious problem, it'll, it'll, it, it basically looks like a black film over the leaves. And when it's com- completely covering the leaves, then the leaves aren't getting any light, and, and so it will kill that particular leaf. All right, but it is easy to control. Yeah, you just control the the and it's not just aphids. Any kind of sucking insect, scales or yeah. white flies can all end up resulting in the the sooty mold feeding off of the the honeydew from those insects. Hey, Patrick, good answer there. So I'll be sending you all that stuff I told Judy I'd send her. Oh, and that's fantastic. And uh, Packers season tickets also. No, no, uh, those are not oh. basically not available. You have to get on a waiting list. And if you get on the waiting list now, you'll probably get the tickets in twenty two forty five. Yes, yes. It's like a seventy or eighty year waiting waiting list. Your grandchildren may oh. be able to get them. Yeah, yeah. How do you get rid of Minnesota Vikings? <laughs> you 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 play them in Lambo. Yes. Oh, I thought you sent them to the uh, end zone and they get lost. No. <laughs> they, Thanks. They, they self destruct every year. We don't have to do much. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. Right, well, thank you. Boy, there's a lot of Packer fans around. Yeah. I don't understand you guys. Yeah. All right. Nancy and Carmichael, go ahead. Give us a good guy or a bad guy that begins with a letter from the word Packers. Okay. Well, I thought I would go with uh, something unusual. Okay. So, how about Korean stink bug? Wow, there's a wow. K for you, Steve. I'm not familiar with that critter. Well, Google I know, it. I, well, I'm about to. Okay, yeah, Korean stink bug. Uh, there probably is. If there are stink bugs in Korea, it's probably a Korean stink bug. He may yeah. be the leader of North Korea, for all we know. <laughs> Sorry. But that's okay. Um, yeah, I've noticed them on uh, on my tomato plants. Stink huh. bugs or Korean stink bugs? Well, I think they're Korean stink bugs. They wow. said there's been a... Um, there's been a few out lately. Who is so, they? Uh, I noticed that uh, some of my green tomatoes were looking like deflated uh, balloons. And uh, I finally found one huh. on it. Well, it, I mean, I'm, 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 the... I'm seeing it on the Internet. Are you? Yeah. Is there another name for it? I, is it the brown marmorated stink bug? Is, no. the, is a Korean stink bug the no. same as a brown marmorated stink bug? Well, I go to the link and it doesn't say anything about Korean. Yeah. Well, I but could it's go there. with stink bug, too, if you just... Uh, well, you could. Yes, yeah. you could. Okay, In yeah. fact, yeah, why don't well, we take the... Well, and then we don't have to worry about it. Very good. Yeah, that works. Yes, okay. <laughs> good yeah, thinking, Nancy. Yeah, we're not smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right, good job. I'll be sending you the... Uh, 10 Most Wanted Bugs brochure from Our Water, Our World, Steve's Soil Analysis, the key to pest-free plants, and from uh, the you folks at UCIPM, 
uh, their information on spotting the Asian citrus psyllid uh, as well as citrus greening disease. So that'll be coming your way. Great. All right. Thanks, Nancy. Mm-hmm. All right. Good save, too, by the way. Yeah. Irene in Richmond, go ahead, give us a, a Packers-style good bug or bad bug. Um, how about the potato bug? Yeah. Now, what is, now Steve, is a potato bug a, a good guy or a bad guy? Kind of neither, um, unless you're growing potatoes. <laughs> then if he's you, a bad guy? Then it's a bad guy. Okay. Um, the, 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 the thing about the, the, the potato bug, also known as the Jerusalem cricket, mm-hmm. is they scare people to death. Yes, they are so big. They're, they look they're, like they're, big they're ants. They're really monstrous. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, what, two, three inches? I ran life? home from school one day in the first grade, or coming home from St. Charles, and I saw one on the sidewalk on Bloomfield Street. And I go, oh, my, what's that? And thought, I think I just watched Rodan or yeah. one of those uh, Japanese monster movies, and I thought, oh, my, radiation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, I mean they, they look like they're from another planet. They're yeah. so... Huge. You never see insects that big. But a Jerusalem cricket is not a potato bug, is it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Hey, Irene, I'll send you all that stuff, okay? Okay, wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, I mean, that's the thing with common names. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Maryland and Sacramento. Well, well, well. You're caller number five, which means if you can come up with a Packers good bug or bad bug, beginning with a letter from the word Packers, that isn't a praying mantis, an aphid, a Korean stink bug, or a potato bug, I have for you, oh, this is perfect, the brand new 2018 Sacramento County Gardening Guide and Calendar from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. Marilyn? Okay. Oh, there you are. I, I, thought go were, I thought you were going to give away the, the Packer press kit. For, no. For you have one? No. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Niner fan. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, Marilyn, oh, yeah, go ahead. Give us a Packers pest. Asparagus beetle. Asparagus. Yeah. Well, there yep. you go. Yep. All right. I haven't seen them in a long time. Don't, but, don't hear very many people complain about them. But they're there. But they are there. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. Marilyn. Good answer. So I'll be sending you that uh, from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, their brand-new 2018 version of the gui- Gardening Guide and Calendar. Awesome. All awesome. Right. Thanks. Good job, Marilyn. Thank you. Thank you, you. Thank All right. you Fred. Okay, bye-bye. Guess who wants to give us a bad time, Steve? The, the, the Mr. Bug? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Bug. Mr. Bug is on the line. Baldo Villegas. Hey, hey, Baldo, how are you? All right. All right. I've been been hearing your show. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and we used your name disparagingly. Yeah. 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 I think think we were. There's a few corrections I could have made. Well, what else is new? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Correct us. Hey, uh, I have never seen the Braconid wasps. In California, that attacking uh, 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 tomato hornworms, like uh, you described. Really? Uh, that's uh, usually just in the East Coast. I, I, I have seen. seen I have seen them in my own yard. Really? Yes. Yes, I have. Well, if you see them again, you give me a phone call. Okay? I don't live there anymore. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, if anybody sees them, okay. Again. All right. That, that would uh, I want to see and, them in photographs. And what you're talking about is basically a tomato hornworm with Q-tip cotton balls stuck on its back. Yeah, and yeah. those cotton ball, cotton ball uh, particles, they're the pupae 
the nutty eggs. Oh. Oh, yes. The uh, braconid wasps, what they do is they take their ovipositors and they, they inject the eggs into the worms. And then the eggs hatch inside the, wor- inside the worm and then they go to the crucial organs and then they start feeding on the crucial organs and then they basically, uh, you know, just eat the worm from, from inside. When do those? And then go ahead. They hatch out of the worm, and then they spin those cocoons that you see there, and oh. those are silken. Uh, it's a silk yeah. material, and then from there the little wasps come out. I don't think I ever knew the life cycle of those. Yeah, now, but the tomato worm is still alive at that point, though, isn't it? Oh no, no, the tomato worm. As soon as uh, uh, oh, about halfway into the feeding er- uh, time of the uh, Bracana wasp larvae, they die. They oh. no longer feed. So they won't be moving around anymore. Right. They just kind of stay in place, and then yeah. they just kind of uh, start, um, the color starts changing. And then, uh, uh, you know, you can see, you can literally see that uh, they're dead. And and inside are those little war- uh, carap- uh, little larvae just feeding on those um, huh. on the tissues. Oh. Well, that's another good yeah. reason, then, for people to leave those tomato worms alone if they see those structures on the back of the tomato worm because, A, those little structures are be- will become the adult braconid wasp, and, B, right. that the, the, the worm's dead. It's not going to do any more damage. Let it be. Oh, uh, Fred? Still here. Bra- braconid. Whatever. <laughs> and, and also the other wasps are called ichneumonid wasps. Whatever. <laughs> Ig- and then uh, I had an answer for you, but uh, you know, just in case I got in. Yeah, I and, would like uh, to know what you know, you'd use for the K. Well, there was a uh, there was a uh, uh, an insect I, I used to use for the biocontrol of Russian thistle called Coleophora parthenica, and then there's another one that I used to use is Coleophora clementiella with a K. So I could use the C and the K there. Huh. Okay. Hey, and then there's also there's also a parasite of the uh, of the um, pink hibiscus mealybug. It's called um, I can't remember the um, the genus name, but it starts with an A. Uh, uh, I don't think it's an aphidus, but um, uh, it's uh, uh, A tamale. <laughs> a tamale? <laughs> no, no, no. A K tamale. Oh, oh, okay. All right. As opposed to B is for burrito. Okay, A, right. A is for tamale. tamale. All right. Okay, got it. The um, uh, Is there, you know what I've been seeing a lot of as far as weeds go in the area is Johnson grass this year. Is there a natural control for Johnson grass? No, no. Okay. Unfortunately, there's no, there's no, uh, for grasses, uh, I can't think of any biocontrol agent. Huh, okay. Well, get back, go, yeah. start working again and work on that. Yeah. Only, Not enough uh, of this retirement I, stuff. The last, the last insect that I work on was on the, um, uh, on the, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the, the uh, carrizo. We call, in Spanish, we call it carrizo, but it's a, it's a grass. And uh, we use, you know, it's very commonly, uh, you see it in, uh, in, in uh, washes and in areas. And, um, uh, Anyway, we uh, we work with a uh, with a scale insect and with a um, with an aphid and with a little wasp, and uh, but uh, those are not uh, really good biocontrol agents, at least for California yet. 
they're working on other bi- biocontrol um, agents. But um, anyway, that was the only one that I know in the in the family, uh, in the grass family that has been worked on. I thought Carissa was pork sausage. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Carrizo. Carrizo is uh is bamboo, but in, in but it, over here they you know it's a different name. I can't think of um I have a mental block right now. Oh, we all do. It's I'm okay. Getting old, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Baldo, you're too busy to be old. Yeah. Hey, Baldo, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Uh, all right. Take it easy. Bye-bye. All right. Always good to hear from Baldo. Yes, it is. All right. He was the star of the show last week at Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Always. Center because it's so easy when people come up with questions about bugs. You say, see that guy over there in the floppy hat? Go ask him. Yep. That's Baldo. He was at the Sierra Foothills Rose Society booth. We'll take a short break. More get growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Steve Zions here from Living Resources Company. Fred here. Got a garden question? Give us a call. 576-1578. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. People are posting questions as well at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. So a lot of ways to get your questions in here. And one of the most recurring questions currently uh, coming into the old email bag has to do with tomato worms. People are seeing more tomato worms than they've seen in a while. We've talked about that little wasp that uh, lays its eggs inside yep. uh, the tomato worms. But that only happens at your house. <laughs> yes, only at my place. <laughs> According to Baldo. I, I did see it, really, I did. The What about... Um, People always want to buy something. What can I buy to control a tomato worm? The, my favorite pest control product controls caterpillars, including the tomato hornworm. Um, it's called BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. And it's a naturally occurring disease of caterpillars. It only affects caterpillars. Now, a lot of your organic pesticides, you actually have to spray the bug. Not the case with this one. This one's a stomach poison. Naturally occurring stomach disease only affects caterpillars. You spray it on the plants. It's also available as a dust, so you can hose down the plant and then dust it. And the caterpillars start to eat this material. Within an hour, they get so sick they can't eat, but it'll actually take them anywhere from three to five days to die. So you'll still see them out there, but the damage will stop. Uh, being the fact that this is an organic material, it does not last on the plant very long. Uh, it'll kill the critters that are there, um, but there is the, always the potential that the uh, the butterfly that the, comes from the, uh, the the tomato hornworm or any other caterpillar for that matter uh, could come back again and lay more eggs, which would mean more caterpillars, and then you have to you know spray it again or dust it again. But you, you can feel pretty good about it in reference to the environment and safety and all of those things because the only critter it hurts is caterpillars a, a, a caterpillar can be dying from this material and a bird can eat it the bird will be fine the active or not the active ingredient but some of the brand names that bt is sold under for this purpose was it dipel dipel caterpillar killer 
But about Caterpillar a, Control. Captain Jack? No, 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 that's something different. What, oh, that's Spinosad. That is, yeah, Spinosad. What, yes. <laughs> whatever. The, uh, now, does BT work on adult hornworms as well as it works on baby hornworms? Uh, the universities will tell you that it works best on the, the, the smaller caterpillars, and I would probably agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I've used it on full-size caterpillars and, and, and had it work. All right, but it's it's more effective, uh, you know, and and I think you get faster results um, when the caterpillars are smaller. Uh, the the trick a lot of times for the for the caterpillars is you typically in many cases don't see them until they've done a lot of damage. They they eat really fast and a lot. Yeah. Um. And they when they eat their their skin is somewhat translucent, and then, so whatever they're eating is what turns out to be the color of the critter. And so they they're very you know effectively camouflaged, and so a lot of times you'll see you know that suddenly a lot of the leaves are gone, um, and they will you know it, it won't you know the, the, the some sometimes some of the stems will still be there, um, but the leaf tissue is gone, um, but you'll maybe see uh, the remnants of these critters, and that's black uh, pelletized poop. Yes. Yes. And uh, the big the big ones are when they're pooping, they look like. Uh, little black barrels almost mm-hmm, yeah and you'll see them on the ground you might see them on some of the lower leaves and uh basically just follow the poop straight up yeah and that's yeah. where uh, the tomato hornworm yeah. usually is they're tough to see I, i've known people who have tried to spot them at night using a black light yeah i've heard i've heard that and i've also you know, i've heard from some people that it works sometimes yeah and some it i'm not so sure about that yeah um some dogs are really good at spotting. That, that's them. what I was going to yeah. say. I, I know of a couple of people who have dogs who uh, the dogs find them. Uh, chickens, uh, if yeah. the, if the if the plants are mature enough to take a little bit of pecking by a chicken, the chickens can do a really good job. Ducks as well. Yeah, my thinking is you want to put up with all that mess when it comes to no. ducks to yeah. step in. But yeah. whatever, it's a, to each his own. All right, question from Mary up in Jamestown in Tuolumne County. She says, uh, when's the best time to cut back salvia ahead of winter? I can't recall the variety. How far back? Generally, with most salvias, you can prune them back, and you can prune them back pretty hard when they're done flowering. That's about the best time to do it. And you, around here in the valley, you can do it just about any time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, mine I usually cut back in... Uh... Spring? Spr- yeah, or yeah, early spring, late winter. Yeah. I generally let it flower and enjoy it, and then when I start seeing the dead branches, I prune those out yeah. and just keep it looking nice. Yeah. and But in, if you live in a slightly colder climate, there's a good chance it'll lose its leaves. So you could wait until it starts losing its leaves and yeah. turning brown and then yeah. prune it back to near ground level. Yep. Uh, and now, if you want a little salvia insurance, this is the time of year to take a healthy branch and propagate it. Take a maybe a five inch, six inch uh, size branch of, uh, you can use tip growth uh, from the end of it and stick it in some uh, seed starting mix. Yep. And it, it'll grow. It's a salvias grow very easily from cuttings. And uh, I, now that I live in a neighborhood and there are people around me who garden, I'm I've been walking around with my snippers and saying, stealing no stealing not plant. stealing i ask first yeah right and i, I carry little, <laughs> little pots of soil with me and just say uh can i take a few cuttings of this and they go sure so i've got those so yeah it's... so when you see a, some strange <laughs> derelict walking the streets yes. of roseville pulling a wagon with 
Folsom, some empty, please. So, it's Folsom. Okay. Yes. And with 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 pots, some empty, some with little sticks sticking out of them. You say hi to Fred. Yeah, that's me. That's uh, but I share too. You know, well, that's good. Yeah. So it's it's a two way street here. The uh, you certainly share your knowledge, and we we fa- we all thank you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, also, Mary from uh, Tuolumne County uh, sent in a picture of a fungus that's growing on a lemon tree. She says primarily the west side of the trunk. Uh, does anything need to be done? I don't know what kind of lemon. It was here when we moved in two years ago. It's partially shaded by an oak on the south side. Well, that'll affect fruit production. That's for yeah. sure. If it, if the citrus is in too much shade, you may have a hard time getting fruit. It depends. Uh, but the, the, the white mushroom-like growths that are tend looking at it tend to be on the lower end of this tree of this lemon tree on the trunk that's not a good sign yeah it usually means there's some sort of rotting yeah going on on the interior of the tree now maybe it's injuries from a weed whacker could be that could you know could be uh, there was too much you know moisture mm-hmm. in the root zone and so you got root rot um, there, you know, something if you really wanted to try and save the tree, uh, there's a new material. I don't know whether it would work on this or not. I have no idea. Is it called holy water? Uh, no, it's called the, the, I mean, it's been available to commercial growers for a long time called double nickel, but now it's available at your retail nursery called Monterey complete disease control. And it's a, an organic material. It's called, uh, Maxillus amylocuenfasis, something like that. Oh, so it is a bacillus. Yes, it's okay. a bacillus, and All so right. it's a biological control, and you can spray it on the plants, and you can also use it as a soil drench to uh, control both foliar diseases and soil-borne diseases. And, you know, again, it's a biological control. I, you know, I generally don't recommend you know, just spraying pesticides, but I think you know this one prevents so many problems uh, i wouldn't hesitate in giving that a try having said that read and follow all label directions and make sure the problem that you want to control is listed on the label as well as the plant that you're spraying it on very true yes very true and again that was monterey complete disease control okay all right We'll look it up during this break and maybe talk more about it. And we'll get back to more of your emails. You're sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com when we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Don't forget, coming up at 12 noon, it's the KSTE Farm Hour. One of my favorite programs. Noon to 1 o'clock today, we're going to be talking about uh, paying attention to the opening of the NAFTA talks, the North American Free Trade Agreement. They're, um, they want to revise them. And where is ag, California agriculture, going to be in those negotiations? Uh, some of the state's biggest farm export products, including wine and dairy, will they get a fair deal in any new NAFTA agreement? We also look at uh, California rice growers. They're eyeing a big new market, China. And finally, it took a while, but the Sacramento Valley processing tomato harvest has begun, perhaps a bit late, but it's looking good. And also, and, and, and Steve, you'll like this, we talked with Jeff Mitchell of the UC Kearney Ag Center. We're going to be focusing on soil and water management tips for vegetable production systems throughout California. And it's all about conservation agriculture and the water-saving abilities 
of no-till and cover cropping. Yep. It, it's, it's really exciting to see um, state and federal you know, agricultural officials promoting soil conservation and, and the benefits it can have to the quality of the soil and saving water and keeping the water clean and all of those things. It's, it's exciting. One of the latest workshops they had down there, they had a series of quart jars on a table. Mm-hmm. Filled with soil. We're talking about the soil test where you put some soil in a jar, some water and soap, you shake it up and wait a couple of days to see how it separates out. Right. Okay. They did this with conventional soil. They did it with a conservation agriculture system of basically a no-till cover cropping crop rotation soil. Yeah. Okay. And adding you know lots of organic matter. The cover crop adds a lot of organic right. matter. So they took a soil sample from each of those, mm-hmm. put them in the jar, shook them up. And people looked at it, and they looked at the regular soil, the regular farm soil, the heavily cultivated typical ag soil. And it looked like you'd see on a typical jar when you're doing that little soil test, you've got the separation and a lot of cloudy water. Right. All right. Where the sand is at the bottom, uh, then the the silt, then the silt, then the clay, and Uh the cloudy water is usually some of the clay particles still floating in the water. With the container filled with the soil from the conservation ag system using no-till and cover cropping. The soil sat as a lump on top of the water, and the water was clear. And people looked at that and go, well, that's wrong. That shouldn't be that way. <laughs> I haven't seen that test done that way. The, the, the way I've seen the test done, again, the quart jars, and then they get hardware cloth, like quarter-inch mm-hmm. mesh hardware cloth. And they make it so that that hardware cloth is indented into the jar about a third of the way. And then they take soil from a conventional field to put it in that cage, which is submerged in water. And then they do the same thing with the uh, more uh, conservation-managed no-till cover crop soil. And what's really interesting when it's done this way is the conventional soil very, very quickly breaks apart and falls through the, 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 uh, Cheese the mesh, cloth or whatever, yeah. the mesh uh, hardware cloth and ends up falling to the bottom. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the conservation soil, because it's not necessarily organic, right, yeah. um, pretty much holds together and very, very little, very slowly will that soil break apart because you know the roots and the soil biology have all knit that soil together, creating really strong structure, and it resists breaking down. What it does, though, with that system, it allows more retention of water for the soil. Yep. So you use less water in an agricultural situation, and also because of the cover crops and the roots are breaking up the soil deeper, the water penetrates deeper yep. into the existing soil. Yep. So it's really a win-win situation as far as cutting the amount of, of irrigation needed for a lot of crops. Yeah, I mean, and again, you, I mean, you said the cover crops are breaking up the soil down deep, and that's that's true. But it's also the soil biology. You've got to remember that you know one of the one of the critters, for example, are, that live in the soil that are beneficial is fungi, and they're nothing but a bunch of fun guys and fun gals mm-hmm. out there. And they 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 have long root-like structures called hypha. And they tie the pieces of sand, silt, and clay particles together to form what's called structure. And 
when you till the soil, you're killing those guys. And so you're losing that ability of that soil to hold on to itself and to create soil mm -hmm. structure. And when you have soil structure, you have what, what's really beneficial is you end up with different sized soil pores. You end up with, you know, really small pores where there's a little bit of water held, medium-sized pores where there's a lot of water held, and large pore spaces where after you irrigate or after it rains, gravity pulls the water out of there, so you have air in your soil, and air is really critical in your soil. Mm -hmm. Your plant roots needs it. Your soil biology needs it. Um, there are lots of soil biology that if there's air down there, they'll take nitrogen out of the air and put it into their bodies, which will then provide nitrogen for your plants. And uh, it, it, you know, it, it's real exciting to see that uh, conservation uh, farming is, is, is going on, the research, and, and it's being promoted by state and federal agencies. And it's not just research either. They had a farmer who's actually been employing conservation agriculture for a number of years. Uh, he lives up in the Meridian area in uh, Northern California. And he said something very telling to the point you were just talking about. He says, when I walk on farmland and it feels like I'm walking on a road, I know there's something wrong. Yeah. On the other hand, when I step on soil and it feels like I'm walking on marshmallows or a sponge, yep. I know this is good soil. Well, I mean, it's like a, we had a new neighbor move into our, into our neighborhood about four or five years ago. And, you know, he was commenting on how good his soil was. He had an open house to welcome the neighbors. Oh, really? Over there. That's nice. And so I invited him over to my place, you know, and it's two doors down. And he walked on our lawn and he says, well, I thought I had good soil, but, you know, walking on your place, I mean, it's like walking on marshmallows. Yeah. And I said, well, I've been, you know, maintaining this. You know, I, I haven't done a lot to the ground, but I've been maintain, maintaining it organically and putting down compost and occasionally some fertilizer. And, and the soil biology, open that soil up and make it nice and spongy. Right. So air, water, nutrients, everything can move through the soil and it can function as it's supposed to. It works. Yeah. And, and now it's good to see uh, commercial agriculture realizing the benefits of uh, using a system that requires fewer inputs, Yeah, if you will. I mean, they call it sustainability, but the fact of the matter is it saves you a lot of money. It'll save you a lot of money. You're going you're to end up with healthier soil year to year, and so it's going to be easier to grow whatever crops you want to grow with fewer problems. Right. All right. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, coming up next week on the program, we'll be talking with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and, of course, answering more of your questions. And uh, we're getting, getting we're coming up to fall garden se season. That's kind of exciting. It's like the second season. August is that transitional month where, yes, you are harvesting a lot of peppers and tomatoes and squash and fruits. But, you know, it's also time to be planning your cool season garden, even going out in some cases and getting transplants or seeds of some of your fall crops that yep. you want to put in your your carrots, uh, peas, spinach, lettuce, cauliflower, um, broccoli, things like that. Yep. And uh, get your ground ready for that. Maybe this is a good time, too, to think about crop rotation and the importance of that. And maybe perhaps letting a portion of your garden lie fallow. No, you I always grow something. Yeah, well, okay, but by maybe maybe not a, a vegetable. Okay. Yes, okay. not something that takes stuff from the soil, but actually puts stuff in the soil. Yes. Uh, your your okay. cover crops, your legumes. This is a good time to be planting a cover crop as well. Yes. Get, getting that started. Your clovers, your vetch, your fava beans, 
And the key, though, is to uh, chop them off uh, before they set flour. Or maximum about 10% flour. 10% flour, yeah. 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 For maximum nitrogen input into the soil. Well, on that note, we must go. Steve Zion, Living Resources Company, 726-5377 is his number in the 916. Uh, I'll give you numbers next week. How's that? Great. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. Come November, a full 25 years of this program. Can you believe it? It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.